Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 25, um, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, to be honest. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink or about your body and what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. All right. Uh, So four things I want to share with you this week, um, specifically about worry. Like I said, next week we'll look at verse 33 in depth, and we'll talk about what it means to uh, put God first and to seek God first and what that specific verse is about. But this morning, I really want to just share with you four things about worry. If you've got um, your bulletin, you should have some sermon notes there. And, and we're going to talk about, uh, really, these are four reasons why we shouldn't worry. Four reasons, according to this passage, why we shouldn't worry. And uh, here we go. Number one, I want you to see this morning that we shouldn't worry because worry serves no purpose. We should not worry because worry serves no purpose. I want to do a little Bible surfing together with you this morning. And let's start in Ephesians chapter 2. If you want to go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. uh, We don't always surf together, but but this is a good time to do it. There's a lot to share. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, what you're going to find there is, is it says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Okay, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, what that verse teaches us is, is pretty simple. We, we are saved, or, or created in Christ, as it says there. We're saved for a purpose. We're saved for a purpose. That purpose, of course, is to do good works. Now, now those works don't save us. We're not, we're not a works-based theology. But rather, those, those works are evidence of that salvation. And so when we're saved, we were saved with a purpose. We were created in Christ for a purpose, to do good works. All right? Let's look at another one together. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians 5. Um, we'll start in verse 17 and just read this together uh, this morning. 2 Corinthians 5. Starting in verse 17, and I'm going to read down through 20. Um, starting in verse 17, 2 Corinthians 5, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, 
And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. It's a big deal. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says, if we're in Christ, we're a new creation. As a new creation, we have a new purpose. It says that purpose now is that we're ministers of reconciliation, that we're literally Christ ambassadors. That means that we're speaking on his behalf. And what are we speaking? We're speaking the message of reconciliation, that through Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself. It's our new purpose. Now, I'll be honest with you guys, we could spend all morning talking about our purpose in Christ. We could, we could turn to, to Romans 12 and talk about the fact that in Christ, we're, we're made to, to, to live lives of worship. To offering our bodies as, as, as our spiritual offering to God as a spiritual sacrifice that we're called to live lives of worship. We could go to Second Peter and, and find that in Christ we're called to live lives as, as disciples, constantly growing in our faith, adding to our faith goodness and to our goodness righteousness, right? We could, we could go there. We could go to Matthew 28 and Acts 1 and find out that, that in Christ we're now created with this, this new purpose to go and make disciples, right? So, so we could spend all morning talking about that, but here's the big picture point I want you to see this morning, guys, is we were saved, we were created in Christ for a reason. We were created for a purpose. Christians have a purpose. We are called to live lives of intentionality and purpose. And this is going to be huge. I want you to see this. Now look at our text this morning. Back in Matthew chapter 6, verse 27. Jesus says, who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? In verse 34, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I want you to see the point. Jesus is saying worry is pointless. See, who of you can add a single moment to your life by worry? He said, this, this thing is pointless. Worry serves no purpose. Worry serves no positive purpose. And guys, we were created in Christ for purpose. So when we worry, we are literally flying in the face of what we were saved for. Because we were saved for purpose. And worry serves no purpose. You see that? When we worry, we literally fly in the face of all that we are created to be. When we worry, we cease to have purpose. We become pointless, futile, ineffective, and unproductive. It's a big one. It's a big one. We shouldn't worry because worry serves no purpose. Number two. Number two. This morning, I want you to see that we shouldn't Worry, because worry is a sign of a faith that's too small. Let's look at verse 28 through 30 there in Matthew 6. Uh, Jesus says, and, and why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow, they don't labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, Will he not much more clothe you? Get this last part, it's important. O you of little faith. So verse 28, Jesus asks a question. He says, and I quote, verse 28, And why do you worry about clothes? Ladies, did you catch that? 
You caught that, right? And why do you worry about clothes? Now listen, I'm not just picking on you. I know, I know that, that you don't just worry about your clothes. You worry about our clothes too. Uh, Jesus is saying, listen, why are you, why are you worrying about material stuff? Why, why, why are you doing that? And then he goes on, he answers the question why his disciples are worrying. He answers it there in, in verse 30. He says, oh, well, you're worrying because you have little faith. You have little faith. That's what he says in verse 30. Why are you worrying about this stuff? Because your faith is too small, he says. Now, listen, that phrase is only used five times in the New Testament. Oh, you have little faith. It's used five times in the New Testament, four of them in the book of Matthew. Four of them in the book of Matthew. And so I, we're just gonna, I, I want to tell you the occasions that, that he says this to his disciples. Matthew 8, 26. Uh, the disciples are afraid of a storm. Jesus is sleeping. These are fishermen, folks. They do this for a living. And they're scared to death. So they go below and they, they wake Jesus. Master, wake up! Lord, wake up! We're about to die! Jesus says to him, you have little faith, and he calms the storm, right? He, he, he says it in Matthew 14, verse 31. It's a storm again. Professional fishermen in a boat. Here comes a storm. Jesus is walking on water this time, freaking them out a little bit. They think they see a ghost. Oh, we're going to die. Peter says, Lord, if it's you, call to me. And he jumps out, right? He jumps out of the boat in the middle of the raging storm. And he walks on water and he takes his eyes off of Jesus. He sinks. Jesus rescues him, puts him in the boat, says to Peter, you have little faith. The other 11 just shut up. (laughs) They didn't say a word. Like if Peter's faith is small, listen, I didn't even get out of the boat, brother. All right. He says, oh, you, you have little faith. Uh, Matthew 16, verse 8. Jesus is, is telling, uh, he, he's trying to teach his disciples. He's teaching them about the yeast of the Pharisees. He, he's, he's talking to them about how, how, how everything that the Pharisees believe and what they stand for, that, that, that it works its way into our minds and our hearts and our world, and, and, and it turns it bad. And he's talking about this yeast of the Pharisees, and the disciples forgot to bring the bread, and so they're just thinking about food. Men, this, if we're talking about worrying about clothes, okay, this is your passage, right? Worrying about food. So decide, what are we going to eat? Where, where are we going to go after church? I don't know. We haven't gone to the store. Wait, let's go on vacation. Well, where are we going to eat on vacation? Where, where, where should we stop, right? That's how we, that's how we work. That's why men like to plan the trips. We want to know where we're going to eat along the way. We want to be in charge, all right? And so, so, so Jesus is talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the disciples are, are just thinking about the food. Oh, we forgot the bread. What are we going to eat? And Jesus says to them, you have little faith. And then he reminds them, don't you remember what I did with the five loaves and the two fish? We fed 5,000 people. There's 12 of you. You have little faith. And then in our passage here, he's talking about worrying about life and worrying about things in life. He says, you have little faith. And then... In, in uh, what some would call uh, the, uh, the, the the other passage in Luke, which is some would call also the Sermon on the Mount, some call it the Sermon on the Plain, he uses that same phrase again, you of little faith. Now, now what, what's the point? What, what, what's the deal? Guys, what all that means is that when we worry, we are doubting Jesus the same way that the disciples did. When we worry, we're, we're, we're doubting uh, Jesus' ability to control the weather. 
When we worry, we're, we're doubting His ability to, to, to walk on water. We're doubting His ability to, to provide miraculously for our situation in life. That's what worry is. That's what worry does. I, I like what Charles Quirrell says. I put it in your notes for you. You can read it there or on the screen. Uh, he, he says this. He says, you know, worry assumes that God is ignorant of His people's needs, lacks the power to meet their needs, or does not care enough about them to meet their needs. Friends, that's what worry is. That's what worry says about God. It's a lack of faith. If we trust God for eternity, we've got to trust Him for tomorrow. It's just the way that it is. We trust God for eternity, we've got to trust Him for tomorrow. Okay? We shouldn't worry because worry is a sign of a faith that's too small. Number three. Number three. I want you to see this morning that we should not worry because our God is not deaf, dumb, Blind or weak. We should not worry because our God is not deaf, dumb, blind or weak. Look at verse 31 and 32. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Let's talk about what Jesus is saying and how it would be received to, to those that were originally hearing it here. Uh, he, he says, listen, so don't worry saying, what shall I eat or what shall I drink or what shall I wear? He says, don't be that way, okay? Don't worry. Uh, and he says, now, now here's why you shouldn't be that way. He explains it. He says, because the Gentiles are that way. Says you could translate the pagans are, are that way. The people that don't believe in, in, in me are that way. The people that don't know the Heavenly Father are that way. They constantly worry about those things. In fact, it, it, it puts emphasis there. It says they, they run after. That word, that phrase, it means they crave, they eagerly seek, they, unusually, uh, they have an unusually strong desire. Basically, it's saying they are obsessed with this stuff. And, and here's what's behind it. They're not just obsessed with this stuff. They're obsessed with providing this stuff for themselves. They're obsessed with providing them this stuff for the, themselves. And this morning, you've got to see this is huge. There, there's a reason why they're obsessed with providing for themselves, okay? You see, their gods, little g gods, were statues. They were figurines. They were made out of wood and stone and clay and metal. They were motionless. They were lifeless. Their gods had no ability to hear. They had no ability to think. They had no ability to speak, much less provide anything. They were forced to rely on themselves and provide for themselves because their gods were deaf and dumb and blind and weak. That's what their gods were. But then Jesus says to his followers, not so for you. Not so for you. Your God is not lifeless. Your God is not a statue. Your God is not made out of clay or wood or stone or metal. That's not who your God is. You know the Father because you know me. You have a relationship with the Father, the one true God. And He's all-powerful. And He's always watching and He's always listening. Don't worry like them because you know God. He's your father and he knows what you need. Jesus says basically, don't act like an idol worshiper. 
See, they run after all those things. They spend all their time and their energy and their effort trying to provide for themselves because they have to. They don't have a God that can hear them and can see them and can know what they need and will provide for them. But you do. So be different. Be different. We shouldn't worry because our God is not deaf, dumb, blind, or weak. Number four. Now, I'm just going to tell you, if you leave here after all these this morning and you're still worried about something, we, we, we missed the mark. <clears throat> Number four. I want you to know that we shouldn't worry because God holds the future in his hands. Verse 34 Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble on its own. That word tomorrow, that that doesn't just mean tomorrow. It's actually a figure of speech. It's meant to refer to to a much greater period of time. That's why he says each day. Okay, He's saying, don't worry about the future. Don't don't worry about the future. We're not supposed to worry about the future and, and, and all that it holds because we know who's in Control of the future. And so, I, I, again, just a little Bible surfing this morning. I know I'm taking you to a few places, but I, I just thought it'd be appropriate. Maybe let's spend a little bit of time just talking about the power of the God that we serve. Let's just do that for a little bit this morning, okay? Isaiah 59.1, and, and you may not even have enough time to turn there. You can try to turn to these passages. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move a little fast, uh, but that's why we put them all on the screen if you want to copy down the Scriptures. Isaiah 59.1 says, The Lord's hand is not too short to save, nor His ear too dull to hear. Our God is powerful and caring. In the book of Job, Job 38, and let's, we can turn there together. Job 38, I'm going to read to you verse 4 through 11. Um, and the book of Job is just a great resource for us to learn about who God is, especially in, in, in chapter 38, God reveals himself to Job in a way that he doesn't necessarily reveal himself to a lot of people and decides, you know, Job is kind of, uh, Job has been so faithful through all the trials and then he finally begins to question God. You know, we live in this society. Oh, God's big enough for your questions. He is. He's God. Uh, but you're going to see what God says to Job in response. So if you like to question God, just, just listen to how God speaks to Job. And if you want to then continue to question God, you do so. I'm not in that camp, okay? Just saying. So Job 38, it says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the storm, and he, he said, Who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Where were you? Oh, oh, oh sorry. Sorry, verse 3. Brace yourself like a man, for I'm going to question you, and you shall answer me. And so this is what he says starting in verse 4. God says, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. On what were its footings set or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no farther, here is where your proud waves halt. We can read that whole chapter. What you're going to find out is God's powerful. 
God's powerful. That's what he's saying, Job, listen, who are you? This is what I've done. This is what I've done. This is who I am. And, and so again, I'm, I just want you to see God is powerful and he's caring. He's a God of great power. And one of the powers that he possesses is the power to provide. Last chapter and verse, I'll give you Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. This is a story you're familiar with. God tests his, his man and Abraham was his man. God tests his man. Abraham wanted a son more than anything else in the world. God promised him a son. His wife was old and barren. He was old and thought he was barren. Thought there was no way. God miraculously provides Isaac. And then God says to Abram, now I want you to go sacrifice him. And so they're walking up the mountain and Isaac... uh, He's old enough to carry the wood, guys. He's not a young, young boy. He's, he's, he's getting up there. And I want you to see Genesis 22. I'm going to read to you from uh, verse 6 through 8. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father... Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. little phrase in your Bible that says God himself will provide. It's actually, in, in, in the Hebrew text, it's actually the name of the Lord. It's Jehovah. And what they do is they add something to it. It's a name of God. This is an actual name of God. What Abraham says is the Lord is our provider. Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. You see, that's who God is. God is provider. It's in His nature. Abraham trusted and God provided. See, we needed a Savior. We needed a sacrifice. Death was coming our way. We deserved it. And God provided, didn't He? Because that's who He is. God is provider. It's one of His names. So I'm going to close with this. I'm just simply going to tell you, this morning we shouldn't worry because He is provider. He He. He has the power and the ability, and Scripture says He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Tomorrow. God holds the future in His hands. God, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, God holds the future in His hands. That's why we shouldn't worry, okay? So what do we do with this? How do we unpack this? How do we make this meaningful Individually, I'll give this to you and we'll be done, okay? Three things and, and we'll be done. Number one, and, and this this is the key to the next two, okay? If you don't do number one, you're not going to understand two and three, okay? Number one, study. Study what? Study God. <laughs> it's called the Bible. It's a big book. Lots of chapters. Pick it up and read it. God will reveal himself to you because that's what scripture is. It's God revealing himself to mankind. Study God. 
Study the power of God. Study the nature of God. Just like we did this morning. Go home and take those scriptures and just go look them up and pray over them and read them and study them. And what you're going to see is that this God that we serve is all powerful. And this this God that we serve is all knowing. And this God that we serve is all loving. And this God that we serve is a provider. And, and, And not only does he provide, but he provides what's best. He gives good and perfect gifts is what he gives, right? And so go study the scriptures. About God. And then once you have. And once you've, you've kind of got some knowledge base built up about who God really is. It's going to really impact these next two. Okay. Number two. Stop. Stop what? Once you know who God is. You've got to stop worrying. <laughs> you've got to. If God holds the future in his hands. If God has created you with a purpose and worrying is against that purpose and flies in the face of it, you've got to stop it, right? Just go back through your sermon notes and go back through that scripture you've studied. And once you've done, you have to stop worrying. Now, that's the negative. That's the negative command I'll give you. Stop worrying. Stop it. Cut it out of your life. Now, now listen, some of you are more worry warts than the rest of us. All right. I'm not I'm not going to pick on anybody, but this is how we have seen things. Now, there are some men that are some warriors, but traditionally the women are the warriors. So but we're just going to do a little poll this morning. OK, if you're the warrior, you're a warrior. Go ahead and just raise up your hand so we can see. I just want to see. We're taking a little poll this morning to so see. I got I got some men that are warriors, too. OK, the majority, though, are ladies. That's 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 I'm just saying it sticks with the research. OK, Ah. Uh, Here's the deal. If that's you, you've got to stop it. How do you stop it? When you find yourself doing it, you go back to what you studied about God. That's how you stop. If you're worried about tomorrow, you go back. Wait a second. I can't worry. God is provider. I can't worry. God is in charge. I can't worry. God tells me not to. It's a command. Okay. Now, if just a little theological discussion. If God commands you and says, don't worry, and you worry, what's that called? Oh, you mean worrying is a sin? Oh, my gosh. You didn't know that, did you? Wow. We really are all sinners, aren't we? It's a sin. You've got to treat it like we don't ever treat worry like a sin. Right? It's a sin. You've got to attack it like a sin. What do you do with a sin? You put it to death. You put it to death. That's what we got to do, okay? So that's the negative. You got to cut it out. Now, here's the positive command, all right? Number three, submit. Now, now this, this, is, this is the positive step. Once you stop worrying, what you're going to do is you're going to submit, okay? So we've got study, stop, submit. What does that mean? It means you're going to now, because you, you've stopped the negative, you've stopped doing what God told you not to do, now you're going to do the positive. You're going to trust. You're going to surrender. You're going to submit to God and say, God, I trust you. And guys, here's the cool thing. You know what that is? That's worship. That's worship. That's what worship is. Worship is trusting God, isn't it? It's trusting God with with not just your eternity, but your tomorrow. It's trusting God with your situation. It's surrendering and saying, God, I don't have all the answers. God, I can't provide. I need you. That's what worship is. It's a collective group of people that understand that they need God. They need God. That's what worship is. All right. So that's what we challenge you to do. Okay. Study. 
Stop. Submit. If you do, I promise you, you'll be blessed.